This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Here's your host, Chris Adams-Wall. All right, welcome back to This Week in Rays Baseball. I'm Chris Adams-Wall, and I'm joined now by... Someone who almost never needs an introduction, and that would be Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times. Topper, thanks for joining us, and how are you? Doing great, Chris. I'm just glad to see you survived your first Gasparilla experience as a new uh, Tampa resident. And don't worry, I got my eye patch right here for you. Let's talk about what is going to happen, though, in a couple of weeks, because we are approaching the end of January, and then it's going to be February, and then we're going to have the same Super Bowl matchup that we had four years ago between the Chiefs and the Niners. But a day or two after that, and hopefully there's not a pandemic this time after that football matchup, spring training is going to get going, right? So, Topper, explain to our listeners and also to someone who has never been through this quite yet, because I came in in June, of course, but we are about to start the 2024 season in earnest. You are. We are. All of us uh, in some fashion that are baseball fans or work in jobs that are related to baseball, it's, it's kind of getting ready to be go time here. And um, it's a little bit unique. I don't think there's any other sport because most of the football teams now have a lot of them, most of them, all of them have training bases kind of near the cities where they play now. They don't go go off to training camp, but baseball still does that. Um, obviously you need to have all the teams nearby. So in a way we have an incredible benefit here that the Rays are one of the teams that trains relatively near their home base, uh, Port Charlotte's 90 minutes, two hours, depending on where you live in the Tampa Bay area. But yeah, you kind of move down there and you kind of become a Port Charlotte, North Port area, Punta Gorda resident for a month and a half or so. And that's a little different experience. It's a bit of a grind. Um, there's a lot of days where not a lot seems to happen, but yet, you know, our job as, as writers and, and broadcasters is to find something to write about, talk about each day, what's interesting, what's new, what's different, what might happen, what does this mean, what does that mean, what could this mean? So it, it's also a time to get to know some of the new players. This year, there's a bunch of, uh, or a handful of new guys and some new coaches and, you know, major league level, minor league level. So I think all that's always a good experience. There's obviously... Uh, people are a little more relaxed. You don't have that pressure of you know guys that lost a game that are upset or are preparing for a game. So it's a time to be a little more creative. Although some of your interviews, I mean, you you already are on that creative end. So we're gonna have to kind of keep an eye on you a little bit there. Like what kind of tree? If you were a tree, what kind of tree would you be? You got to tone those down, buddy. Uh, but it, it's a you know it, it's a good experience and. It probably doesn't have the, uh, in the old days, you hear older writers and broadcasters talk about the romanticism of spring training. You're done at noon or you're out on the golf course or sitting on the beach or you're running into players and staff at the local watering hole and things like that. It's not really like that anymore because, first of all, the days end up being a lot longer because it seems like there's more going on. But uh, it is a good time to kind of have some chance to get to know some people, get to know them better. Uh, work in a little bit of a more relaxed atmosphere, but also kind of set the framework up for the season and introduce listeners and re readers to who's new, who's interesting, who's going to be relevant, who to watch, what roles might change, things like that. 
And the Rays' first spring training game will be on February 24th, but pitchers and catchers report when, Topper? On the 13th, right? Yeah, so the 13th will be the first day. There'll be some action on the field. Um, and then, or the four, 13th and 14th, you'll see some guys 13th, 14th. Then the position players are in five or six days later. But these days, most guys come uh, spring training early. There's already been people working out at the trop. There's been six or seven pitchers throwing at the trop. There have been a couple guys hitting at the trop. Uh, and again, that's a benefit the Rays have is. In some northern cities, the players are either working out on their own or they come down early. I know there were some guys throwing at the uh, Jays complex the other day. And um, I know our friend who works for the Fort Myers, John Vitas, posted a picture of some twins uh, pitchers throwing down there. So uh, there are players working out. But here, most of the guys that are in the area are coming to the trop and they'll just go to all, all go to Port Charlotte then. Hey, one other thing I forgot to tell you about the rituals of spring training, being the new guy. You've got to pick up the tab once a week. <laughs> oh, good. Well, I can't wait for that. Thanks for letting me know, Topper. Let's talk about your Sunday column, though, because I thought it was pretty interesting. You talked about some of the things that we've discussed on this podcast over this offseason, and it looks like, at least for the moment, that the Rays have the team or the majority of the team that they're going to be entering 2024 with a lot of young players topper. And as you pointed out in this article, it kind of feels a little like the end of the 2018 season going into 2019, right? Yeah, it's, it's just, it's not exact comparison, but just kind of going back through the years and talking to some raised people, that was a point that a few of them mentioned as well, that, you know, they, they felt like they had a really good team in 18, um, but there were some changes. They got rid of some older guys during the year and after the year and felt like they could put some younger guys in but not impact the quality of the 19 season, but also build themselves up going forward and, and kind of retool on the run. You know, the Rays have done a really good job of avoiding, you know, the, the up and down. You saw the Astros do it. You saw the Cubs do it. Build up, tear it down do terrible for a few years, build it back up again, have great success. Now the Rays haven't had that ultimate success as the Astros and Cubs did. They did win a World Series. But the Rays have done a much better job of when they've had a rebuild, kind of staying you know, pretty even there and not having to go through those terrible seasons to get back to better ones. So I think that was a, what they did in 19, and then they made the playoffs that year. And you know, Willie Adamas was a young guy who played a key role. He'd been up for part of the year before. Austin Meadows was basically told going into spring training, you're going to get a chance to play this year. Relax. Don't put any pressure on yourself. He had a great year. He made the all-star team. Brandon Lau had been up at the end of 18, did terrible. Got hurt a little bit in 19, but played really well. He had made the all-star team, then he got hurt right before the game and couldn't play. But a couple other guys that were in similar situations. Glass now was given some runway. So they saw a chance to kind of put these young players in, but there were enough good players around them to keep the team playing and winning at a high level and be set up to keep going. And, and that's got a little bit of vibe now. I mean, look, Ryan Pepio most likely is not going to be as good as Tyler Glass now is when he's healthy and out there. But that's the most stark of the changes. They felt like they got a power-throwing right-handed pitcher who could be really good in trading glass. Now, obviously, a lot of financial uh, trade-off there, but can kind of keep going with some of the other pitchers they have. You know, Manny Margot gets traded. Johnny DeLuca comes in, right-handed hitting outfielder who can play all three positions. 
they felt like they had to make a move at shortstop to get a little bit of depth there because of the Wander Franco situation. They go get Jose Caballero. It costs them Luke Rayleigh, but then they turn around. They've got some bullpen depth. They trade Andrew Kittredge, and they bring in Richie Palacios. So there's your left-handed hitting outfielder to take Rayleigh's place. So it seems like they've been able to do all this, keep the balance of talent the same, and feel like they're still in pretty good shape to contend for what would now be a sixth straight playoff spot. Right, and as you pointed out, the core from last year is basically still intact. You've got Randy Rosarena, Josh Lowe, you have Yandy Diaz, obviously, at first base. And then you have some of these younger guys who are probably going to get more opportunities, right? Guys like Curtis Mead, who did drive in the only run of the postseason last year for Tampa Bay. Junior Caminero might be up. Who knows if he begins the year with the Rays. Uh, Jonathan Aranda will also figure into the mix. So... When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Again, we go back to 2019, and what happened then? That was the start of the Rays' current playoff stretch, right? Making the postseason for five consecutive seasons. Absolutely, and I, I forgot to mention, that was Yanni Diaz's first year with the Rays, too. He'd been acquired in a trade that offseason, and it was one of those trades where they put $5 million in the deal, which you know doesn't get a lot of headlines, but for the Rays, that was pretty big. It was like, wow, oh, they're putting $5 bucks in to get this guy? That's so unusual. Well think they'd make that deal like every single day of the week going forward if they could get a guy like Yanni Diaz. He was the team MVP this past year. So, yeah, it was interesting how they did it then. I think they feel that, as you said, the core is back. I think Aranda is the guy, as we sit here today, who's probably going to get the biggest opportunity. He'll kind of get the Austin Meadows treatment. Like, you're going to get a chance to play. You're going to play a little DH. You're going to play some first base when Yandi gets a day off or Yandi needs a DH day. We've seen him play second and third, too. I'm sure he'll spend hours uh, in spring training work with Brady Williams and Michael Johns and getting trying to get as smooth as he can at second and third so they can get him some extra at-bats. But I, I really think he's a guy that they are, are very comfortable and confident in that if given the opportunity, it's going to hit. I mean, his AAA numbers are incredible. His big league numbers haven't been very good. So... Sometimes the way you solve that is give a guy you know, a bunch of opportunity in a row without any pressure. And, and look, Chris, I mean, you know, by doing it at the start of the year, yeah, you can put yourself in a hole if it doesn't work out, if a couple of those guys falter. But you also have the ability to go get more help if you need it. Whereas if you put these guys back to AAA and say, well, let them play another month or two at AAA, we'll see how they're doing. And then you bring them up in May or June, and it turns out they can't cut it in the big league level. You don't have that big of a window to go get trades before the trade deadline. So I kind of get the philosophy. I kind of get the theory. And I think you're going to see all those guys we mentioned, that handful of young guys. Another one who's going to get a big opportunity is Taj Bradley. You know, he was, I think, inconsistent is a fair word for his season last year. Really impressive when he came up, made those first few starts. Uh you know, then he kind of struggled a bit. Then he got sent down. Then he came back up, and it was kind of hit and miss a little bit. But I think he probably would be second on my list behind a Ronda as far as young guys that they want to give a chance to. 
and just let them have the opportunity to blossom as big league players. Now, you know, slow start, bad spring can change that, but I think that's the intent going in. And as you mentioned, Tauber, Jonathan Aranda has, has struggled so far at the big league level, but sometimes these things take time. Look at Luke Rayleigh, right? Took him a couple of big league tries to get it right, and look what he did for the Rays last season. Let's talk about the catching position, though, right now, Topper. Uh, an interesting development, I suppose, or there, there really haven't been because Rene Pinto, as of today, as of this recording, is still the only catcher on the Rays' 40-man roster. Now, we know that they also have Alex Jackson, who was down in AAA Durham uh, at one point last year for the Rays, and there are also going to be some guys brought into spring training, guys like Rob Brantley, and I believe you reported Nick Meyer might be close to a deal with the Rays in your column there. So what can you tell us about the backstop position for the Rays? Yeah, we will not have to talk long about it because it's a short list, as you said. And I, I don't think uh, Rene Pinto is going to catch all 162 and they're going to have an extra position player. So they are going to have to figure this out. Uh, but in all seriousness, I, I think there's a couple things here. One is the Rays stubbornly, comma, rightly or wrongly, comma, misinformed, much smarter than the rest of us, however it is, have an incredible amount of confidence in Rene Pinto. And while we saw there were some times last year, especially catching glass now where he had some trouble, they overall feel like the amount of strikes he gets them, the way he frames pitches, the way he gets the pitchers to work with him and throw the ball where they want to throw it is exceptional. The other thing is, for all the times he had bad at bats, this is, I'm not great at math, but this is pretty simple. I think he played 32 games. He had about 100 plate appearances. He hit six home runs. That's like a 30 homer pace for the season. Now, I don't, I don't think he's going to hit 30 this year, but if you have a 20 homer hitting catcher, Faye, who is really good at framing, works with your pitchers well, like that's a pretty good player. So they may be right and maybe we'll see it this year. But I do think there is a concern over what, A, if that doesn't work, or B, what about the days he doesn't play? And, you know, he's not a great runner. There may be a situation you want to run for him. I think Alex Jackson, even though he has not done much in previous major league opportunities elsewhere, is similarly a guy they have a lot of confidence and faith in. They traded for him last year. He had an off-field accident, hurt his shoulder, uh, didn't really get to play much at Durham. But he's going to come into camp as we sit here now as the number two, and he'll get added to the roster. Don't forget they've got to put uh, three pitchers go to the 60-day injured list as soon as camp opens. So they'll have three 40-man spots open. Wander Franco's situation, he most likely will come off the active roster in some form, whether it's back to administrative leave, restricted list, whatever it is, that's expected for the start of spring training. So they'll have four spots uh, to work with there to add guys to the 40-man at some point. Uh, Rob Brantley signed, Nick Meyer signed. And, and look, I do think between now and not even necessarily the start of camp, but now in the you know start of games, say, let's say toward the end of February, There'll be a couple other veteran catchers who didn't get a job or thought they were going to sign a major league job or have a contract with a team where they have one of those uh, assignment clauses or opt-outs where if they're not going to make the big league team, they can get out. So whether it's February 13th, March 1st, or maybe even mid to late March, the Rays will have an opportunity to add another veteran type catcher if they so desire, if they don't like what they see with Jackson or Pinto or Brantley or Nick Meyer, or, you know, even if they have one of the guys, they'll usually have a couple of guys from the system come up, but 
they're going to want to have, you know, you, you carry two, but you almost look at that up first guy at Durham. There's usually someone at Durham who's essentially your third catcher, even though he's not with the team that you call up. You know, you're almost foul tip away from a guy hurting his hand, needing a couple of days off. Even if you don't have an IL situation, you need somebody else that you can call up and count on. And one or two of those home runs that Pinto bopped last year were pretty important. I remember him tying the game against Seattle on a frozen rope, I believe it was a Friday night. And just thinking back to my time in Montgomery, Topper, with the double A biscuits, Renee Pinto back in 2019 was that team's backup catcher. And then he survives the pandemic. I remember opening day 2021, he broke up a no-hitter on the final strike. It was a one-two pitch, two outs wow. in the ninth inning, hit a three-run home run, and the Biscuits won that game 3-1 to one on one hit. So good for Rene Pinto, and we'll see who's going to join him at the catching position this year for the Rays. Topper, all of us can get lost if we just start scrolling through X, and there are rumors uh, swirling all over the place there still. One name in particular who has been affiliated with the Rays is Yasiel Puig. Yes, he of L.A. Dodgers, Cincinnati Red, and Cleveland Guardians fame. Are there, or is there rather, to, to use my uh, English major here, uh, is there any truth to that rumor that Yasiel Puig might be suiting up for the Rays? Now, I don't think you're going to see that one happen. Um, I wrote about it in Sunday's Tampa Bay Times and TampaBay.com that that sounds like a rumor that kind of like the telephone game of somebody told somebody else, you know, hey, Puig could join the Rays or Puig would be a good fit with the Rays. And somehow it kind of got legs and, and has showed up. I agree with you. I've seen it kind of make two or three uh, life cycles through social media. But as far as I was told by some pretty high-level people, no and no. So I don't think you're going to have to worry about whether it's P-U-I-G or P-I-U-G. Uh, I forget. You don't have to write things anyway. Never mind. <laughs> and where would he play, right? I mean, the Rays already have a ton of outfielders. Let's go back to the minors. You also mentioned in your most recent column, Topper, that MLB Pipeline has released their top 100 prospects going into spring training, going into 2024. And not one, not two. I feel like LeBron and, and D. Wade, when they suited up with the Heat, not three, but four Rays prospects cracked, cracked the top 100, including Junior Caminero, a guy who we mentioned earlier on this pod. Carson Williams is on that list. Curtis Mead and first baseman Xavier Isaac. So the Rays have to feel pretty good about that, yeah? Yeah, they should. And you know, their farm system seems like maybe it's been down a tick the last couple of years. Um, there were a couple of years when they were like back to back. And there, there's different systems. I'm not picking here. Baseball America ranks guys one way. Uh, MLB Pipeline does another way. Baseball Prospectus does it. Fangraphs does it. There's a few other out there. but And the, the rules are different. Like there's Shane Boz is on one list this year, but he's not on another based on if you've been in the big leagues, how much time you've had, whatever. But in consensus, in general here, um, those are the four main guys, and those are four pretty good guys to have. I think if you even go a little further, um, Isaac is the number one prospect of all players in the minors at first base, according to MLB Pipeline. Caminero's number one at third base. Meade is, I think, eighth at third base, and Carson Williams is seventh at shortstop. So they've got two of the top position player, you know, two of the top prospects at their positions and two other guys that are in the top ten. So that's a pretty good situation to be in. I will say I'm surprised given the Rays philosophy and given the Rays reputation to have no pitching prospects in the top hundred on any of the lists outside of the one list that still included Boz, who's been in the majors and missed time with 
uh, Tommy John surgery is a little surprising. Usually they've got that next wave of pitching coming, and I don't know that those guys are who they are yet and haven't distinguished themselves enough yet to be acknowledged as top prospects. Can I ask you about when these guys might be coming up to the to the big leagues? Yeah, I think Mead is the guy you're going to see most likely this season. I mean, he looks, as we sit here today going into camp, he looks to me to be on the team. Um, there's still some, you know, do they trade Harold Ramirez or not? That could happen. If so, you know, does that become an extra infielder, an extra outfielder? You know, Palacios, uh, how does he fit in? So there's a there's a little bit of maneuver, maneuvering here. They may have to decide. But I think Mead is a guy who they saw a couple times last year. Again, didn't necessarily have a great run, but showed in flashes what he can do or what they think he can do. Um, if he can show in spring training, he can play short and kind of be the backup shortstop to Caballero. That could be a big uh, part of him making the team as well. If not, they have to go another direction. I don't think, and I know the prospect uh, crowd is not going to like this, but I don't really think there's much of a chance for Junior Caminero to make the team. Look, he he has to play, right? He's 20 years old. He's only played 81 games above the Class A level. And those were at Montgomery last year, and then he played a handful of games in the big leagues. But there's usually, you know, a, even for the best prospects, there's a certain amount of, of, you know, whatever you want to call it, experience, seasoning. It's not really dues to pay anymore because they want to get the best players to the big leagues. But you've got to go through some things, and he hasn't done all that yet. Now, sure, if there's another injury or something happens, I, I think they would turn to him pretty quickly. But their plan at this point, from what I can tell, is when you've got – Isak Paredes, who's essentially a 30 and 100 guy. You've got your guy to play short now in Caballero. You've got Brandon Lau, who, if healthy and showed in flashes last year, you know, before kind of that freak injury that ended his season, you know, 20 plus homer pace again. Yanni Diaz is your team MVP. I mean, that infield is pretty well set. If Ramirez is on the team, you've got your right hand at DH. You're not going to DH Caminero. You want him to play. And there's still a little question over what position he plays. I mean, We've seen him play. You've seen him play third base. I think there's a desire on his part to show he can play shortstop. I think the Rays were going to have to be convinced he can handle shortstop. He's a bigger kid, uh, obviously, and there's benefits to the power that that you know gives you, but also maybe limits you defensively. So I think in their ideal world, Caminero goes to AAA, and they kind of figure out down there whether he's a shortstop or third baseman. And we'll be one, he'll be one of those guys that when he comes up again, he probably comes up to stay unless, you know, like I said, there's an injury or something. And then, you know, you're a couple of years away on Carson Williams and Xavier Isaac, younger kids. Uh, but Xavier Isaac was what a high school draft, just 2022. So he has been maybe the most like kind of on a rocket as far as his prospect status moving up and give the Rays a lot of credit. When they took him, there was a lot of, you know, you don't see a lot, you don't see this often, but there was a fair amount, you know, of skepticism and, like, who is this guy? Why are the Rays taking him? Why would they, you know, did they waste a pick? Where did they find him? Uh, but this was a great job of scouting. He was a kid who was hurt and didn't get out on the circuit a lot and didn't get a lot of attention. Uh, but, you know, has transformed his body and uh, really has a great work ethic from what everyone says and, and can really be a you know power hitting first baseman. That's a guy that they typically have had to go out and get when they wanted to have a player like that. And then Carson Williams, just a smooth ball player. Great defensive player. Talked to him at the end of last season. He was up at the trop picking up yet another award and you know, basically cutting down on strikeouts, learning 
you know, plate discipline, which is very logical stuff. Another really talented kid who was taken out of high school, you know, the year previous. So give those kids a couple of years, you know, hopefully you'll still be around, you know, by 2025, 2026. But I, I think you'll see those guys. We'll be talking about them being on the cusp of making a team. You said Xavier Isaac is on a rocket topper. I think another way to describe that would be to say that he's having a meteoric rise through the system, right? If we want to stick with the astrological terms, one player who Junior Caminero has been compared to by unnamed people that I have heard being around the minors and even in the majors is Adrian Beltre. Yeah, I don't want to get people too excited, but... Adrian Beltre is a guy who went into the Hall of Fame last week, along with Joe Maurer, along with Todd Helton, who was a surprise to some people. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One guy who did not make it, though, Topper, was Tampa's own Gary Sheffield, a guy who has over 500 home runs. He was a nine-time All-Star, a World Series winner. And Topper, you posted, you get to vote for this thing, and you posted your voting form there on Twitter or on X or whatever we're calling it now. And you did in fact vote for Gary Sheffield. I'm just curious, why did you vote for him? I mean, went over it there for a little bit. And were you surprised at Beltre, Maurer and Helton going in? And were you surprised that Gary Sheffield didn't get in? Probably that voting record thing you mentioned, it's called a ballot. Thank you. So I just yes. wanted to help you on the terminology <laughs> there. Um, yeah, look, I, I think I, I don't know exact number. I've seen it is maybe it's five people or 10 people, but I'm in the uh, 10 year Gary Sheffield Club. Voted for him all 10 years. He's been on the Baseball Writers Association of America ballot. Unfortunately, he did not make it in any of his 10 years. So he now comes off the ballot. He'll have to be considered uh, by the Contemporary Era Committee. That's the same group that voted in Fred McGriff, former Ray, a Tampa guy, a uh, you know, year or so ago. Uh, but there's, you know, a lot of competition, and that committee only often votes in one or two people. So Gary's fate will be in the hands of of another group here. Uh, that group will meet in December of 2025. So it'll be uh, kind of a, you know, no talk about Gary for the Hall of Fame until uh, a year and a half or so, two years, whatever from now. Uh, but look, I, I do. I think his qualifications. I know he had some, uh, I think, ties to performance enhancing drugs is the best way to put it, but. Nothing that was ever uh, proven uh, for sure. Just some allegations. He worked out with Barry Bonds. Barry Bonds did some stuff. There's been stuff written in books, but nothing that has gotten Gary Sheffield tied directly to it. And look, I, there's no right answer to this. And I'm not in any way saying the way I do it is correct. Uh, but I, you have to have some framework. Right? How do you deal with the quote unquote steroid guys? And mine has been, and it, it's admittedly a squiggly line, Chris, but if you did something before it was deemed illegal. I don't know what you did. I have no way to know. And I don't think anyone does. And the people that act like, oh, he used them and he would never have hit this many homers. Or he would never have thrown the ball that fast. I don't, I don't think we know that. I don't think the doctors who have the records know that. How do we know that? 
But if you knew it was illegal and you use and you got caught, I'm not going to vote for you. So I voted for Barry Bonds, but I don't vote for Rafael Palmero. I mean, I don't vote for Manny Ramirez. I mean, those are guys, Alex Rodriguez, they knew it was wrong. They did it anyway, and they got caught. That's like three, right? Three strikes and you're out. So that's where my line is. Gary Sheffield did not cross that line. He was never uh, failed a test. He was never suspended. He was never disciplined. There was never any like a proof in court. So there maybe there are, and I think there are people who held that against him. I've seen some of my colleagues who have written about that. But you look at what he said on the field, and, and here's the other thing. There's again, it's not this isn't a statistical formula. I don't think people, the most people, when you vote, it's not just add up the war, divide by the career on base percentage, factor in OPS plus, go what runs created, add this, subtract that. This is our vote, right? It's your own personal responsibility. And part of that is gonna be what you've seen. Part of that is what you hear. Go ask people who played against Gary Sheffield what they thought of him as a hitter. I mean, Jim Leland said it the day he was inducted or voted for the Hall of Fame, excuse me, and at the winter meetings, just this, we were all up in Nashville. I mean, he said, he mad at them. He said, Gary Sheffield, for a period of time, was the most feared right-handed hitter in baseball. And talk to some pitchers who pitched back then. That wagging the bat the way he did, and he was something. And he there was something to be said for being the most feared hitter of his era, too. So I, I do think Gary should have been in. I know I went on a long time here. It's too late to campaign or anything. But uh, it, it's a pretty interesting group. You talk to writers that are for Gary Sheffield, I think you'll get passionate replies from them as well. My only question is, who do you think Gary Sheffield would go into the Hall of Fame as? Because he played for so many teams. <laughs> and for a lot of those teams, they were short stints, right? I think Florida might have been the longest, and that was, what, five or six years tops. Yeah, and he did win a World Series for them, and I don't think there's a, a Marlin in the Hall of Fame yet. I mean, there's a couple of guys who played for the Rays, but there's really not a true Ray in the Hall of Fame yet, and we could, on another podcast, have a fun debate over who that might be, and no, we're not going to say you as the broadcaster yet. So, um, But... I think Gary would probably end up either being a Marlin or being a no hat guy, as as we've seen. And Fred McGriff had played, you know, he played for what six teams and primarily for four, uh, but he also went in with no hat. And look, from a business standpoint, that probably makes sense too, because if you if you go in with one team's hat, you may you know be more aligned with them, and maybe for uh, marketing and sponsorship and appearance opportunities. Uh, you know, this way, if you go in with the no hat, you're kind of available for all your teams. Just talking about the performance enhancing drugs stuff. I remember one time I forget who I was talking to, but they said Cooperstown or the national baseball hall of fame is a museum that's dedicated to telling the story of baseball. And I know a lot of these guys are quite polarizing. Can you tell the story of baseball without Barry Bonds, right? A guy who was a two time MVP winner before he started doing uh, any of these things or before he was accused of doing any of these things, allegedly. So it's an interesting debate, and I'm sure it'll be waged on uh, for a long, long time. Were you surprised at all that Todd Helton got in, though, Topper? I wasn't surprised he got in, but I also didn't vote for him, if that makes sense. I mean, I, I, I went back and forth. I spent a lot of time you know, looking at his numbers, reading some of the, the kind of for and against arguments that some colleagues prepared. Uh, looking at some stats myself, talking to some people who you know played or were journalists during that era and saw him play, and 
I know it sounds like an, an easy out here, but I just couldn't quite get past the benefit of his of, to his stats of playing half his games in Coors Field. Now, he didn't pick that, right? It wasn't like he didn't sentence himself to being a lifetime Rocky. And he had some impressive numbers uh, on his away stats. But if you look at it, I, I think there was an inflated benefit. It comes with playing at Coors Field as a hitter. He took advantage of it. That shouldn't be held against him, I guess you could say. But I just wasn't quite there uh, for him. His overall stats, pretty good. Not not great, though. I mean, good enough to be in the conversation. And then when you factor in the inflation of playing at Coors Field. So I, I don't think it was egregious in any manner. Like I said, I wavered back and forth. I know there was a couple of years ago. I forget who it was now. But there was someone that was like in their 10th year. Kelton wasn't there yet. And I voted no before. And I kind of got was on the fence back and forth. And I thought, ah, you know what? It's the guy's last year. He's probably going to get in. But I, I'm going to vote for him. So, of course, as I share this in within the four walls of my house, my wife's like, you freaking caved, didn't you? I'm like, yeah, I did. Whatever. You could be the first one to make fun of me. I, I said no for nine years and I voted yes for the 10th year. So it happened. <laughs> and Todd Helton, of course, I don't think he got any kind of help uh, from another Hall of Famer, his former teammate at the University of Tennessee, Mr. Peyton Manning. Yeah, both of those guys are quarterbacks for the Volunteers. Adrian Beltre and Joe Maurer, maybe less surprising. Uh, I mean, both obviously now Hall of Fame careers. But congratulations to Beltre, Maurer, and Todd Helton. And we'll see what happens with Gary Sheffield. We're also going to see what happens with Mark Topkin as we approach, uh, approach spring training. Topper, I can't wait to see you down there in Port Charlotte for my first run at it. I'm not sure which run this is going to be for you, but I'm hoping you can show me the ropes. Yeah, no, we've, uh, let's see, the Rays moved down there in 2009. So 2020 obviously got abbreviated. 2021 was kind of different. So 2022 was kind of different coming off the lockout. Then there was the damage to the facility and the area from the hurricane. So we weren't there last year at all. So in a way, um, and let, let's have fingers crossed here, buddy, that uh, this is uneventful and this will be the first full and uninterrupted spring training uh, for the Rays in Port Charlotte since 2019. So let, let's see if uh, we, could, we can get that through without any major issues. Uh, but like I said, it's, it's an interesting opportunity. I think you'll enjoy it. It does have a little bit of Groundhog Day feel to it some days. Uh, but you also get to spend a lot of time driving around because the closest, uh, F, besides the Braves who are in Northport, the next closest place is about 45 minutes away. And there's a couple of good two, three-hour drives in there as well for you. So I need an oil change is what you're saying. Yeah, get your tires aligned, get your oil changed, and clean some of those uh, junk food wrappers out of the back seat because you're going to be throwing more over the seat. Trust me. <laughs> well, I can't wait. Mark Topkin of the Tampa Bay Times, thanks so much for joining us on This Week in Rays Baseball. We appreciate it. And we will see you down in Port Charlotte. Don't forget, just once a week, but you got to pick up the tab. That's right. I can't wait for that either. I'm going to get my wallet ready, too. Thanks so much for tuning in to This Week in Race Baseball. I'm Chris Adams-Wall saying goodbye for now, but we will talk to you again very soon. Take care and have a great week, everybody.